really, all you have to do is remember this line. I'm going to have you repeat it after me. So everybody else can repeat this after me. (laughs) Say, I will never. I will never. Speak to. Speak to. Speak to. The IRS. The IRS. (laughs) It is not your job. I mean, it's like, I will promise to never do surgery. Okay. And yet, if you handle your own IRS audit, that's like saying, it's okay for me to do surgery. Right. And not only that, it's okay for me to do surgery on myself. (laughs) Not a good idea. Even if I'm a doctor, it's not a good idea to do surgery on myself. Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio, cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. This episode is sponsored by our brand new course called Fast Fire Bookkeeping for Real Estate Investors. Do you have a pile of receipts and a bunch of statements that are stacking up in your office and the pile isn't getting any smaller? Are your rental properties getting you closer to financial freedom? Do you even know how your properties are performing? Well, the answer to your problem is doing your books the right way, and that's what our course is about. We'll teach you how to set up your books the right way, not just for tax time, but also so you can unlock the insights that will help you maximize your cash flow. For more information or to sign up, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash fastfire bookkeeping. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. We are so excited to have Tom Wheelwright here today. He is a CPA and owner of WealthAbility. And we started reading his books way back when in 2015. And as many of the listeners know, I love talking about taxes. And so this is going to be one of my favorite episodes. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So Tom, for listeners who haven't heard of you, could you just kind of give them a quick background of your CPA life and, uh, <laughs> and some of the books you've written? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah good Mormon boy, and uh, spent two years as a Mormon missionary learning how to be rejected in Paris, France. So that was a terrific experience, absolutely terrific. And then I went to the University of Utah to get my undergraduate in accounting, University of Texas to get my master's of professional accounting and tax. I spent uh, seven years with Ernst & Young, one of the largest CPA firms in the world, including three years in their national tax department. I was actually there during the Reagan years and the last major tax act back in 1986. Did a lot of training of CPAs around the country while I was there. 
Then I went to work as the in-house tax advisor for a Fortune 1000 company. I spent uh, 14 years as an adjunct professor in the Masters of Tax program at Arizona State University, uh, 25 years uh, buying, building, selling CPA firms. And uh, the last is year where the last uh, 15 years or so traveling the world with uh, Mr. Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad fame, one of my clients that I still have a few, few uh, CPA firm clients. And we've traveled all over the world. I mean, literally six continents. Um, interestingly enough, uh, we always get the same comment. Uh, somebody will always come up and say, well, this is great, only you can't do that here. And that's actually something we get. It doesn't matter if we're in Moscow or Tokyo, if we're in Dallas, frankly. And, and now for the last several years, what we've been doing is we uh, develop education for clients like yourselves, as well as for CPAs. We have a network of CPAs, a network in uh, the US and Canada, uh, about 50 CPA firms around the country and in Canada. And what we, what I spend my time doing uh, when I'm not doing this is I'm pretty much uh, with them, training them like I will be this afternoon. I train them uh, pretty much every week. Uh, we've got some kind of a training going on with our CPA. So uh, we need to make sure they understand the system, the, the proper system for reducing taxes. And so we're, we're both a, if you would, a B2B where we work with the CPAs and a B2C where we talk to actual real estate investors and other busy entrepreneurs. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you didn't mention your book. It's right behind you so, there. Okay. Multiple, multiple so, so I've, actually, <laughs> I've actually been involved in several books over the years. Uh, I started years ago uh, helping Robert with some of his books. Uh, this is one one book that I helped him with. Uh, actually, he actually gave me, a, if you look really closely at the very bottom, it has my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really about the only person that, uh, besides Donald Trump, that has a byline with uh, Robert Kiyosaki. So Why the Rich Are Getting Richer, we wrote that together. Uh, my book, of course, as you are aware, um, whether you want it in English, it's in English, Chinese, Spanish, and Japanese, is Tax-Free Wealth. And this has been a bestseller. Uh, actually, since before it came out, it launched as a bestseller in 2012. So this is uh, kind of the book on how to think about the tax law. And uh, fortunately, we have uh, really good sales and we're just happy to get the word out. That's our mission. Get the word out. Yeah, I love that book. I mm -hmm. remember us reading it very early on in our mm -hmm. real estate journey. And I've kind of like, I just love reading tax books now. They're so exciting. But yours is so accessible to people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really appreciated that about your book and the little like tip parts and stuff. So yeah, great stories too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Well, you'll like the next book I'm writing then because uh, that one uh, comes out later this year. All okay. right. Well, it's cool. not a tax book and it's uh, it's very different from tax-free wealth, but I think it's going to be really, really, really well accepted. Cool. Awesome. And I remember I attended a lecture probably like a year ago and you were talking about the new tax changes. And I, mm -hmm. I remember like you were, you know, upbreeding like these ridiculous amount of, of paperwork. The and care, I, you mean the CARES Act? Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, how, yeah. how interesting it must be to be a CPA and be like, get this whole new, like just completely huge yeah. change, yeah. but be on the forefront of interpreting it. It must be so exciting. <laughs> well, I think so. And I, and unfortunately there's only a few of us that, that actually do read it. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the big challenge. And that's, that's why we have our network is because we need to get that word out to the other CPAs because most CPAs don't spend much time 
unfortunately, reading the law and, and uh, keeping up to date. So that's kind of part of our mission with our CPAs. Awesome. Yeah. If you haven't read the book, you definitely need to check out the book. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but we wanted to focus on this uh, episode on the topic of fear, actually, which we see fear all over the place in our students that are taking our course and learning about real estate. Uh, We see it also in CPAs who don't take advantage of of the tax code and and what's what's there. And then we also uh, see, you know, CPAs also marketing uh, fear, fear of audits, things like that, right? Uh, scaring you and saying, "Hey, you need to, you know, you can't do these things because you know you're going to get audited." And so we wanted to kind of dive into that topic. And so, and you were just kind of talking about how a lot of CPAs, you know, haven't educated themselves or don't uh, know a lot of the tax code. And so, can we kind of start there? Because I think uh, maybe, and this is a hypothesis, maybe some of that fear is based in just just not knowing or not not understanding. Well, I, I think the, the first part is, well, first, first, if you've read uh, Tax Free Wealth, you know that we're the opposite of fear when mm-hmm. it comes to the IRS, right? We've taken the opposite approach, um, and I think we're the only ones who do that. There really is nothing to fear once you understand that the tax law is really a series of incentives, and that's what it is. It's incentives for uh, real estate, business, uh, agriculture, energy, all sorts of incentives. In fact, if you want to know what any government is supporting policy-wise, you go to their tax law because that will tell you where the incentives are. And really all the tax law is, is a guide to those incentives and how to reduce your taxes. So the government wants us to do certain things. And frankly, it's our job to help them do their job. That's really the way I look at our, our profession. Our job is to help them do their job. And we don't help them do their job by saying no. Okay. We, we help them do their job by saying how do I do this, right? So if we're looking at real estate, for example, or we're looking at, at physicians, right? We're looking at, okay, so what does the law not just allow, but what does it actually support and recommend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that in your in your book, you have this kind of this chart, which says, you know, what, what the government wants, right? They want to create jobs and they also want to provide housing, right? And so kind of takes us into, into the whole topic of real estate. And it's funny, I didn't, I did some analysis myself on our taxes. And I was able to determine that if we were just working as physicians, uh, what our tax amount would be compared to how much tax revenue we generated being real estate investors and found out that we actually generated more revenue for the government uh, when you take into account all the jobs that we've you know created or supported you know all the property taxes we paid when you add, add all that up we actually generate more more revenue for the government than than we would pay as as a two physician household right and unfortunately most CPAs don't understand that and so and and the other thing that they don't do is they actually most CPAs look at the tax law and the IRS as something to fear like you say it's something to be afraid of and they don't even want to take the time to learn it. And, and that's really challenging to me because I'm a lifelong student, uh, most of all. And it's not that, you know, once you learn it, as, as, as you say, it's, it gets pretty interesting and it's pretty exciting. And, and you find new things and new opportunities and, and things that you can really help the government do their job and really promote their, frankly, the government policies. Yeah. And then one of the, uh, you know, along the lines of kind of like, you know, uh, learning about the tax code, you know, one of the key uh, areas of the tax code that a lot of our students take advantage of is real estate professional status. And so, you know, my question is that, you know, we always encounter this question from our students. They say, 
you know, my CPA never told me about this. Do you, I mean, do you have a, a sense of why that is? Is it just like lack of education? Is this not taught in, you know, school? Like, do you, do you have a, any sense of why that is? Most of it's lack of education. Some of it is understand the tax law is the most complex area of law in the world. Okay. I mean, Albert, Albert Einstein said it was the, the most difficult thing to understand right. was the income tax, right? So this is not a simple thing. I mean, it's, you look at other areas of law, like um, estate planning or commercial law, things like that. They're actually a very small amount of law compared to the tax law, which is a very big amount of law. And you would never think, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you'd never think of going to a, I hope, a general practice attorney to, um, uh, do your real estate acquisitions. You go to a real estate attorney. And the same thing is true with accounting. And while most accountants tend to be generalists, there are specialists. And uh, I've always, I mean, I've specialized in real estate for many, many years, uh, mostly because uh, my technical specialty is partnerships and we do use a lot of partnerships in real estate. So um, I've been involved in real estate. Actually, my parents were real estate investors. So it's in our blood, it's in our family. And it's really a matter of specialty. I mean, it really is. It is an absolute specialty. You would not believe, I'll talk to CPAs that handle large syndicators and they will not understand the law. And that's a little scary to me because um, <laughs> that, that means that their investors in those large syndications are also not getting the benefit. I, I Just last year, I talked to the partner on a, for a CPA firm that handled a very large syndicator. And I said, how come the depreciation on this K-1 for my client is so low? And he said, I said, certainly a cost segregation would have gotten you much more depreciation. He said, well, we don't do cost segregations. I said, well, why not? He said, well, because our investors can't take advantage of that. So we don't incur the expense. I'm going, wait a minute. You have several of my clients who are investors and they can all take advantage of it. I mean, this is the thing. So real estate professional status isn't taught, but what's taught even less than that is how to take advantage of your losses if you're not a real estate professional or you can't be a real estate professional. I mean, a good example is my wife and I, we're full-time in our businesses, okay? We're not going to be real estate professionals. That doesn't mean I'm not going to take advantage of those real estate losses. Yeah, we should go deeper into that. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I know a lot of our students are full-time docs and maybe don't have a stay-at-home spouse or and they're not going to get real estate professionals. So what are some of the key areas they should be looking for tax savings. Mm-hmm. Well, well, remember when, when you look at the tax law, and this is where we were talking earlier about acronyms, right? And uh, see, accounts do the same thing doctors do, right? They think everybody understands the acronyms. Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking, wow, you, you should understand all of this. You have to simplify it and understand that the tax law has buckets of income and expenses. It has ordinary income, ordinary expense. It has portfolio income, portfolio deductions. It has uh, passive income and passive losses. So real estate losses are what they call per se, which means by definition passive. Mm -hmm. All right. So that doesn't mean they're not deductible. It means they're only deductible against passive income. So then the key is, okay, so where is their passive income or how can I generate passive income? Now, real estate professional eliminates the need for that designation. It makes the losses, turns them from passive to ordinary. But if you don't, if you're if you're not capable of doing that, then what you have to do is sit down with, and this is where you do need a specialist, okay? Sit down with a specialist and figure out, okay, so where can I, do I have passive income in the first place? Because I find that a lot of docs 
have passive income, they are unaware it's passive income. Okay, because I actually think a bigger question is why don't CPAs understand the passive loss rules, which is a major impact, especially on medical professionals, because you are full time, you're really busy. Um, a lot of doctors tend to invest, for example, in syndications. Syndications are very, very tough. If you're just investing in syndications, very tough to be a real estate professional, even if your spouse, you know, is stay at home, um, because of, you have to really have some some real estate that you work on yourself. Okay, you can't just only be involved in syndications, and so what do you do about that? Well, that's where you have to sit down and look for. Do I have some income that really is passive that I don't know is passive? Or could I generate? Could I could I actually shift some income from what we call ordinary income to passive income? And it's actually a lot easier than you think. We have some very um, specific strategies you, we use that are very clearly allowed under the law. And you're allowed to, sh- to, to create passive income. Yeah. So I've heard you mention syndications as a source of passive income. I think physicians who are not employed by like hospital systems who have their own businesses, probably a lot of them do have some element of passive income. Um, if well, they have we a medical, see, we see them, yeah, we see them investing business. in surgical centers, right? And right. then they'll, they'll have a piece of a surgical center and get passive income. from Right. That. Where else do you see people being able to access that passive income? Well, you, you kind of hit on the head. Um, if you're an employee, you're just dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, you're just, there's nothing to do. You've got to be either a real estate professional or invest in oil and gas. Okay. Which doesn't have that designation or you've got to have a business. Okay. Any business can be passive. Okay. So any business can be passive under the right ownership structure, under the right uh, way to set that up. So like we have a client that um, both he and his spouse work uh, full-time for a hospital. They're W-2 employees. They're not going to be real estate professionals. They have no business. They're accumulating passive losses. Now, remember, those losses accumulate. And when the property is sold, those losses all get freed up. So it's not like you're losing them. You're just postponing them if they are passive. But the reality is, if you have any kind of business, there's an opportunity to create passive income. Yeah, we met one physician couple. Well, he was a she was stay at home. They had a number of properties. They had a million dollars in suspended the, passive suspended loss. passive yeah. losses. Yeah, but like she probably could meet reps criteria. Right, she, she could probably it. meet the real estate professional. Yeah, criteria. and they could. didn't know. Yeah, yeah. What's it was actually interesting. There was also a, a question I had along. Maybe this is a little bit more of a selfish question uh, because we have you know now over eighty five units. So uh, my question though is. Is there a point at which, you know, uh, once you get above a certain number of units that we have property managers, but is there is there kind of a threshold above which the IRS might look at it and go, okay, you know, you probably meet the hours or you still have to track the hours no matter what, even if you're bigger? So I, I had a client years ago, actually, she wasn't a client, she was a friend and she got audited and all she did was real estate. That's all she did. She collected the rents, she managed the properties. I mean, she literally did everything. And her CPA was handling the audit. She didn't like the way it was going. She called me up. Would you help? Help? And I said, I said, yeah, under two conditions. I said, first of all, you're going to pay me my full rates because I'm not going to do it otherwise. And second of all, you're going to take all of my advice. <laughs> Those are my two requirements. And she said, fine. Well, so we're. I'm sitting down with the auditor, and the auditor is disallowing the real estate professional status. I'm going. This is all she does. And so, you know, and she tracked it and everything. And it was pretty funny because he said, 
Well, all she had was phone calls and emails and phone calls and emails don't count. And I looked at him, I got a big smile on my face. I said, that is awesome. He goes, what? I said, well, that means that my, my CPA firm is passive income because all I do is phone calls and emails. I don't actually meet with any clients, so it must be passive. No, 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 that's not what I mean. I said, okay, so what do you mean? So it, he says he just wanted a more detailed explanation of what she was doing, and but you do have to do that. So there is no, there's no easy way around that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's uh, stay on the topic. Get back to the topic of fear, and let's talk about audits because you're just talking about an audit, right? And so you know, a lot of our uh, students will just, and a lot of our listeners just fear audits. And and I know that you talked about it in your book, but can you kind of like summarize a little bit about your thoughts on audits? Yeah, uh, for sure. So it, first of all, if your accountant is afraid of uh, the IRS, you probably need a different accountant because remember, it's not the A students that go to the IRS, right? <laughs> they're, they're typically the B and C students that end up at the IRS. Pretty rare that you get the A students. And it's not that they're not good people, not they're trying to do their job. They are. Um, it's just that if your accountant is afraid of that, then you go, wait a minute, why would they be afraid of working with the people that they have to work with on a day-to-day basis? But I'll, I'll make it really simple. So once your CPA is not afraid of it, then it's really all you have to do is remember this line. I'm going to have you repeat it after me. So everybody else can repeat this after me. <laughs> Say, I will never. I will never. Speak to. Speak to. Speak to. The IRS. The IRS. <laughs> It is not your job. I mean, it's like, I will promise to never do surgery. Okay. And yet, if you handle your own IRS audit, that's like saying, it's okay for me to do surgery. Right. And not only that, it's okay for me to do surgery on myself. (laughs) Not a good idea. Even if I'm a doctor, it's not a good idea to do surgery on myself. So what I'm saying is it's, it's really easy. You have a good CPA who understands the law, is not afraid of the IRS, who understands how to handle not just the audit, but the auditor, okay? Because this is a personal relationship type of a situation. I have an audit going on right now, and uh, this is about managing um, the auditor as much as it is about managing the audit. And we're going to help them do their job. We're not afraid of them. They're not afraid of us. We have a cordial relationship and uh, I understand they're doing their job and that's it. Now, we don't, we also prepare every tax return as if it's going to be audited. So we make sure we've got documentation, we've got work papers. You wouldn't believe the number of accountants who don't maintain any kind of work papers. Well, how are they ever going to handle your audit for you? Okay, that means that, that means that they're going to rely on you to provide all the information for the IRS. They'll have none of it. And to me, that's like the old oil filter thing. You pay me a, a, a little bit now, or you can pay me a whole lot later. It's the same kind of thing. You've got to have the right CPA that's preparing your return, not just doing your tax advisory work so that you can be ready for that IRS audit and you can sleep at night. You don't shouldn't have to worry about it at all. Um, there's things you can do on your tax return about how you report a deduction to make it less likely to be audited. I mean, a good example is, the, the, the biggest fear about a single deduction that people have is the home office. Yep. Right? And, and they have this idea that home office expense, that's a red flag. Well, if it's a red flag, you're doing it wrong. Okay. If it's a red flag, you're doing it wrong. Prior to 1997, it was a red flag. 
It is not, there's actually, if you do it right, there's nowhere for the IRS to even know you have a home office unless they audit you. So it's not possible to be a red flag. I'll tell you what's a red flag. Red flag is the Schedule C. That is a huge red flag. And why anybody ever has a Schedule C is absolutely beyond me. That If, you, if you're a physician and you're reporting your, your doctor's income or your consulting income or any other kind of income on a Schedule C, it is, it is time to reevaluate what you're doing because that, now that one, that's a red flag, but that's easy to solve. Mm. That's so interesting. So a lot of our students are kind of transitioning and doing some short-term rentals, actually, because they're they know that they're not going to achieve real estate professional, and so that they uh, want to harvest some of the tax benefits of short-term rentals. We have a lot of students who one CPA says, "Oh, it's on Schedule E," and another CPA says it's on Schedule C. And I wouldn't have it either place. So I would I wouldn't put it either on Schedule C or Schedule E. I wouldn't I don't want it on my personal income tax return. I'd like it on an entity return and I just want one line showing up on my personal income tax return. So I don't like Schedule E's and I don't like Schedule C's. Um, Schedule E's are not as big a red flag as Schedule C's, but they're still why would you put that information on your personal return that you're handing to the bank and other people? Hmm, interesting. This episode is brought to you by Keystone CPA. Are you tired of losing your hard-earned money to taxes each and every year? The truth is that tax savings is not just for the super wealthy. As a real estate investor, you too can take advantage of all the tax saving strategies that are available to help you protect your hard-earned money. Top-selling authors and tax strategists Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland specialized in tax saving strategies, especially for real estate investors. Be sure to check out their website by going to www.keystonecpa.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-C-P-A.com to work with Amanda and Matt and make sure to download the free ebook that is available on their homepage. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Can I ask you about uh, some of the other uh, myths? Maybe uh, I'm going to call them myths because I think they are myths about audits. Uh, so people say that if you claim real estate professional status, you're going to get audited. And uh, you know if you claim... Uh, certain things you're going to get audited, like a home office deduction. Can you kind of talk about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, your chances of being audited are really low. I'll tell you, there are a couple of things. You know, if you if you file a form 8886, which is like conservation easements, things like that, mm. you're basically telling the IRS, come look at me. Okay. Mm. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying that's what you're saying. I'm not personally afraid of that IRS audit. So I'm okay with that. But deductions, I, I, they're not going to by themselves unless they're, you know, what, what's going to show up is when it's out of line with normal business practice, right? That's what really gets you in trouble. You know, you've got 
meal deductions of $100,000, okay, in a business that produces net income of $500,000. That is very unlikely. So, you know, you, you have to be reasonable. Anything to be deductible has to be re- ordinary and necessary, which means reasonable in amount and frequency. Uh, so, it, you have to look at that side of it. But I'll give you a one little tip. Don't ever put down seminars on your uh, deduction line. It's continuing education mm-hmm. uh, cont- by, because seminars are not deductible, but continuing education is. So if it is in your business area, either medical or say if you're a real estate investor, that's continuing education. So there, that's what I'm saying. There are ways to report things on your tax return that reduce the likelihood of an audit, but don't be afraid of a deduction that you're entitled to. That is just, that's ridiculous. So I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about real estate professional, because I know you've been doing this for decades and decades. I'm interested to see what kind of trends you see in the people who are claiming real estate professional status. You know, they have a lot of properties over time as they age. Is there a pattern you see in terms of people at some point stop as real estate professionals or do they stay doing it forever? At some point, it doesn't matter anymore because what happens, so real estate's a bit of an addiction, right? Real estate. <laughs> it is. And you get addicted in part because of the tax benefits and you're constantly have to buy new real estate to, you know, to make sure that you've got losses to offset that other income. Well, eventually, let's say that you retire from your business or your other, your profession and all you have is real estate. Who cares if you have real estate professional status? All your incomes at that point is passive. So it doesn't matter if you're a real estate professional or not. I mean, that's that's what people sometimes forget is that sometimes the best answer is not to claim real estate professional status because you get a better tax result. I handled the appeal of an audit for one of our firm's clients years ago and, and they claimed real estate professional. The auditor was challenging it and they disallowed it. And we were going to appeals. And I looked at, I said, I said, my partner, it was his client. I said, run the numbers. Um, without real estate professional sets, it saved them money. <laughs> okay, so um, sometimes real estate professional status isn't the end all be all. So you really have to be looking at this on a regular basis and not just say, well, I, I've heard that you need to be a real estate professional. Well, that doesn't mean you should be a real estate professional. It's not just can you be, it's the question, should you be? And so um, I I do see when people, you know, eventually, now people should, if you're really into real estate, I don't understand why you'd ever get out of real estate. Um, People say, well, I want to cash out. Well, why? Why do you want to do, what do you, where where are you going to put the money? You can put it in the stock market? Really? That's more safe? So instead, why don't you, you say, well, I'm going to buy a corporate bond. Well, okay, that's called a Walgreens, okay? You buy a Walgreens, sell lease back, that's a corporate bond, but it's secured by real estate. So how can you get a better corporate bond than one that's secured by real estate and one that you can leverage 70, 70% loan to value or 75% loan to value with one of the best credit tenants in the world? So I, I don't understand that. I think that it's, I, I think the better answer is, okay, be the real estate professional as you're building up the portfolio. Once you build up the portfolio, once you're out, and by that time, you're gonna not, you're not gonna be doing that other businesses anyway. You're gonna be out, you know, with that like you're uh, seeing behind you. You're gonna be in Hawaii with um, <laughs> right, enjoying the beach. And when you do that, right now, you don't care if you're a real estate professional, so it doesn't matter anymore. So can I can I retire as a real estate professional? <laughs> 
<laughs> I've been, I'm the real estate professional in the family. I cut back in medicine, you know, at first to, you know, to be able to claim it and then, uh, you know, just doing all the hours and recording the hours. So, you know, at some point, yeah, I definitely would love to retire from being a real estate professional. But, but you right. have to wait till she retires from being a doctor. Right. That's right. Yeah. She's <laughs> going to stop making money to shelter. Um, so actually, can I ask one more quick question along the yeah. lines of what you've seen over your years? What have you seen in terms of people who go on to become millionaire and multi-million dollar real estate investors? Like what are they doing that maybe other people are not? Well, uh, they're doing a couple of things. First of all, they're not paying tax because there's, you know, once you, once you do that much, it's like, you know, this, that whole thing with Donald Trump last year and the New York times just cracked me up and I'm going, of course he didn't pay taxes. He put all his money into real estate. I mean, that's how the law works, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, um, but the other thing I see is, and, and this is probably the most important thing we see with real estate investors, the ones who are really successful are very strategic about the real estate and they don't diversify. Okay. The, you know, a niche will make you rich, right? I mean, you have a niche in your podcast, right? You talk to doctors, right? That's a niche. Well, there's a reason for it. And that's because you're specializing in an area and you that allows you to get really good in that one area. Well, the same is true with real estate. You can't do, you can't be good at commercial and industrial and, and uh, uh, residential and all that kind of stuff. You can you need to narrow that down and even down to your criteria. So what I find, for example, you know, for years I was traveling with Ken McElroy. You're probably mm-hmm. familiar with him, MC mm-hmm. company. He yep. has uh, many, many, many units uh, in the Southwest. And uh, he'd be talking about, you know, what they do. And so one day I said, so Ken, can I tell everybody what your criteria is for investing? He goes, what? And I said, yeah. I said, I think I've got this. I said, you're in, um, you're in tier two cities with uh, uh, class B properties. You want uh, basically work, you know, worker type property, right? That's what you're looking for. And I gave him the rest of the criteria. And he says, you are spot on. I said, and I just know this by listening to you on stage because that's all you do. Okay. And so the, the really good investors, they do one thing and they get really, really good at it. Now, might they then start another thing that they get really, really good at that? Yeah. But uh, remember Malcolm Gladwell's idea, right? In Outliers that you need, it takes 10,000 hours to get really good at something. Mm-hmm. So um, 10,000 hours is a lot of time to be spending to get really good at something. And you can't do that a whole lot of times in your life. So that's what I see. That is the number one trend I see is somebody gets very narrow in their focus and that's how they get really good at real estate. Casual investors, um, they tend to spread out to too many different types of things. And, you know, not only will they be involved in real estate, but they'll also be involved in the stock market and they'll be involved in, you know, precious metals. And then they'll go be, get involved in their business and oil and gas. I mean, that doesn't make anybody uh, a lot of money. You make a lot of money by being very narrow in your focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you find that a lot of people who are staying very narrow are staying in one city, for example, or a lot of them spreading out to multiple cities? But no, they, that- they'll spread out, but they'll be in a certain type of city in a certain type of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I talk about Ken McElroy, he right, he does tier two cities. So he doesn't go to San Francisco. He doesn't go to New York. He doesn't go to Chicago. You won't find him in Miami, right? You'll find him in Dallas, you'll, uh, but more likely you'll find him in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Right, you'll find him in Tucson more likely than you find him in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and and you'll find him in Oklahoma City. I mean, these are these are that's tier two cities, but that's his niche, 
right? And he's always doing a value add. So he's not interested in class A properties. He's only interested in class B properties, but it's the same type of workforce and the same type of workforce housing. And that's what he's doing. Now that doesn't make it the best kind of real estate. It means it's the best kind for him. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing people get caught up with is they go, well, I heard, I heard multifamily is good, or I I heard industrial is good. I, I heard this is good. I'm going, no, 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 no. It's all good. If you're really good at it. Okay. You just have to be really, you just have to focus and get really good at one. And then it's okay. You know, you can be in different markets as long as it's the same type of market with the same type of people and you're looking through the same criteria. So it doesn't matter what city it's in. What matters is, are you following all of your other criteria? Awesome. Awesome. Great advice. So many uh, great pearls in this uh, episode. Thank you. So uh, moving on to the final segment of our show, uh, we ask everybody uh, two questions. Uh, The first one is, what is your definition of rich? So, so for me, it's all about freedom. I'm, I'm the youngest of six children and I don't like being told what to do. So (laughs) to me, it's, it's freedom of of who I am, uh, what I do and what I have. So it's, it's kind of that kind of freedom. And it doesn't mean I don't want to work because I like working. I think work is actually good for the soul. My dad taught me that. Mm-hmm. But I want to do those things that really I want to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't want to sit on a beach all year round. I mean, I think that would be incredibly boring. Um, but do I want to sit on the beach for a couple of weeks a year? Yeah, I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to do that. I want to be travel, be able to travel the way I want to travel. Um, so there is some have in there, but a lot of it is uh, the, the B side and the do side. You know, I want to be able to be myself and I want to be able to do uh, what I want to do. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in Hawaii, but we're working. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, semi-retired MD, that's what it's about, right? Yeah. Knowing that for a lot of people and including us, if we didn't work or didn't contribute in some way, we wouldn't feel like we had a purpose and we'd be lost. Yeah. So, so we're not, we're not retired MD, we're semi-retired, meaning that, you know, you like that. Yeah. You have the income that you can kind of uh, pursue what you want and do what you want with your time, which is, but you still stay active and doing things. So exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Second question is uh, what is one mindset habit or strategy that separates someone who is rich from someone who is poor? So um, what I find, uh, and thanks for asking that question. I think that's a key question. Uh, people will ask me all the time is, um, for example, they go, okay, I bought, I bought your book. Is it deductible? And that's the wrong question. <laughs> the better question is, I bought your book. How do I make it deductible? <laughs> it's a, how do, I, how do I do what I want to do? And this is the biggest issue. You talk about uh, CPAs, tax advisors. The biggest issue I find is, is that they don't understand that what the clients want is how do I do what, what, I'm, what I want and reduce my taxes at the same time. So I don't want to, let, let's say, for example, you changed to uh, your, your workload to become a real estate professional. Mm-hmm. That's great. A lot of people don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you don't want to do that, then the question is, okay, how do I still get my real estate losses, even though my spouse and I are both full-time business owners, et cetera? Okay. Well, that's a, how do I do it? Not, can I do it? Mm-hmm. And so I never, I, I find that wealthy people, they don't ask, can I do it? They ask, how can I do it? And what they're really asking is, um, who can I find to do what I want to do? <laughs> so it's really about a who, it tends to be a who question, not a how question. 
And the other, the other thing, if I can just add one more thing that is a big difference, and I find this a lot with um, professionals, uh, doctors, lawyers, and accountants, tend to focus on expense instead of focus on assets. And they tend to look at their attorney, their tax advisor, other professionals as an expense. If you, if you focus on it as an expense, you're going to want it reduced as much as possible. But if you focus on that person as an asset, if they're actually building wealth for you, I mean, for example, our goal at WealthAbility is to be the best investment, better than any real estate investment you ever you ever invest in should be what you do with WealthAbility. Um, because if we're not reducing your taxes, we shouldn't have taken you on as a client in the first place, because that's our goal. Our goal isn't compliance. Our goal is tax reduction. So it, it's really that focus. Um, rich people always focus on the investment. They don't focus on the expense. They're not trying to minimize their expense. They're trying to maximize their return on investment. And that's why they tend to have better tax advisors. That's why they tend to have better attorneys. That's why, you know, that's that's why they tend to spend a lot of money on professionals because and other people because they understand that it's other people that are going to make the money. It's probably not what they do that's going to make them the most money. It's what other people do on their behalf that's going to make them the most money. Wow. I love it. Like literally that how can I is built into our training Yeah, because we think that's so important. And we've had so many students who changed the mindset to I can't to how can I, and their level of persistence is just a totally different thing. And then their creativity Mm -hmm. is just activated in a way it never would have if they didn't, if they just said, Oh, I can't do it and stop there. Yeah. Uh, And also how the, how can I kind of dovetails nicely in the second point, which is like, well, then you need to go find the specialist to help you achieve that goal. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And we've been building our team at semi-retired. We literally went from like one person last year to uh, we got up to 16 recently mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. It's, it's thinking about each person you bring on as an investment who's mm-hmm. actually contributing more to your company, just mm-hmm. the same way as a good advisor will, mm-hmm. um, then, then you could ever pay them. Mm-hmm. So, so well, and if they're not, you should probably get rid of them. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for being with us. Can you yep. tell everyone how to get a hold of you? Mm-hmm. So really easy. The name of the company is WealthAbility. So it's WealthAbility.com. And WealthAbility is really about, our mission is about your ability to create your own wealth. It's not about turning it over to somebody else. So we believe that uh, the big lie in uh, is the big Wall Street lie is you're too stupid to handle your own money. So you should turn it over to them. And uh, they do that, of course, for very selfish reasons. And so I applaud what you guys are doing um, because what you're doing is helping people take control of their own money. Wealthability.com. And uh, we have a system for reducing taxes and all of our uh, CPAs are trained in our system. And we have, like I said, about 50 CPA firms around the country and in Canada. Great. Awesome. Okay. We'll put the link down below in Mm -hmm. the show notes. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.